everyone. Welcome to episode 92 of the Book Cougars, Two Middle-Aged Women on the Hunt for a Good Read. I'm Emily. And I'm Chris. We have big thank yous today to Jolene and Ellen for their donations to the Book Cougars. Thank you both so much for that. We really appreciate it and we'll put it to good use. Yes, thank you. And we want to say hello and thank you to Anna. It's kind of funny to be thanking her because we sent her books as she was the winner of our 90th episode giveaway, but she sent us pictures of herself and the books and it was really lovely. And as we said, these books went over the pond, mm-hmm. our first European winner. So Absolutely. So thank you, Anna, for listening and for entering and for being a book cougar. Yeah, we wow. appreciate you. <laughs> We want to remind people that we announced on episode 91, our 12th read along. Yes, it's going to be the title is Drive Your Plow Over the Bones of the Dead (laughs) (laughs) by Olga Tukarczyk. Yes. And we will be recording around February 14th. The episode will air on the 18th. Yes. Our Goodreads read along page is live. Please participate. Just go and say you're super excited. (laughs) We'd be happy to see that. Yeah. Any comments, questions, reactions you have about the book would be great. Or Olga's writing in general. I know she wrote Flights, which has been very popular in the United States and certainly around the world. It was just recently translated into English, though, this last year, I believe. Yeah. And I also want to, can you put links in on the Goodreads chat page? Yes. Okay, because I watched a really cool interview, video interview with the translator. Oh, neat. So I'll put that up so people can go hear her speak about the book as well and her experience with working with Olga. Very cool. And her name is Antonia Lloyd-Jones, the translator of Drive Your Plow Over the Bones of the Dead. Right, she translated it from the Polish. Right, and there's a different translator for flights. All right, Emily, so what have, well, I guess we start with what are you reading? I'm currently reading Nothing to See Here by Kevin Wilson. This is one I've had on request at the library literally for months, and it's got this really cool cover of, you know, what looks like a kid in their little britches and they're catching on fire. And it's a very interesting book about two people who befriend themselves away at boarding school and kind of stay friends into their adulthood. And one of them turns to the other because she needs help. And she needs help with her two stepchildren who catch on fire when they get angry. Oh, wow. Like spontaneous (laughs) combustion? Spontaneous combustion. Wow. Yeah. So I'm not going to talk about it too much because I'm still reading it. And I'll talk about it on the next episode once I finish it in more depth. But it's really well written. He's a great writer. For those of you who recognize the author's name, Kevin Wilson, he got a lot of praise for his book, The Family Fang. Oh, right. Yeah. Yeah. Which is, I think, I I remember when it came out. I didn't read it, but I know a lot of people I know. Yeah, I remember Ann Kingman really talked about that praise the book on um, books on the nightstand I remember yeah we're talking about yeah. that one so excellent writer it's funny it's um, poignant you know it's really about fa- a lot of it's about family and how we make our own families you know a lot of us I highly recommend it fascinating concept I remember watching a documentary on spontaneous combustion of humans and I think Stephen King has had a story or two 
that makes sense. With the character <laughs> in that situation. Fascinating stuff. Well, I keep thinking, you know, my I was actually talking to a friend about this yesterday. My my more, you know, literary, I wish I was more literary. And I'm sure that that has a bigger meaning than just the, the practical, you know, these kids catch on fire. <laughs> so maybe I'll think more on that when I talk about it next time. Well, the book I'm reading is set in New Hampshire in 1855. So this is a historical fiction thriller. It is by Kim Taylor Blakemore, and the title is The Companion, a novel. It's coming out January 14th, 2020, and I've been following Kim on Instagram. I came across her because she is a historical fiction writer who is into 19th century women's stuff. And so I just, you know, I don't know how I came across her from a hashtag or something, so I've been following her on Instagram for a while. And did I request an arc of this? Oh, I didn't request an arc. This is a book I'm reviewing for Criminal Element. Oh, okay. So, Good. Um, I was really excited to see it pop up. And I was like, definitely want that one. So I'm really, I'm just, how far am I? I'm 63 pages into it. It was a little hard to get into because it's kind of like, what's going on? Who's talking? Um, the woman who is the main character, Lucy, is in prison for a crime. So she's talking about what happened in this house where she was a servant. And then it's her time in prison as well. Mm, back and forth in time. A little bit of back and forth. So I'm, like I said, I'm, I, I just, uh, last night I hit my stride with it. So I can't wait to get back into bed tonight and read a little bit before I fall asleep. Well, I, you know, I don't fall asleep <laughs> reading. When people say they fell asleep reading, I always imagine like the book hitting their face. Oh, that's happened to me. That's Has never that? happened to you? <laughs> no, not It almost I... killed me when I was reading Harry Potter, actually. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh, I totally fall asleep. And and it's really hard with the e-reader because it hurts when it hits you in the head. <laughs> <laughs> and it's happened to me on many occasions. Someday I'm going to call you and be like, I'm not, we can't record today. I broke my nose last night <laughs> with my e-reader. <laughs> wow. Yeah, no, I usually just get to the point where I'm like, okay, I, I'm tired. I can't focus anymore. And I put the bed, the, the bed. I put the book away and, and go to mm. bed. No, I literally fall asleep. <laughs> every Actually, pretty much every night I fall asleep reading. I mean, I don't wake up like three hours later. I doze off and I'm like, okay, turn your light off, put okay. your book down, take yeah. your glasses off and go to sleep. <laughs> <laughs> All yeah. right. Well, that's The Companion by Kim Taylor Blakemore. Ooh, I look forward to hearing more. Do, I don't know if you guys can hear my squeaky chair. I just said to Chris before we started recording, my goal for 2020 is to figure out why my chair squeaks, which I've been talking about for three years now. Hopefully I can accomplish it. <laughs> Goals. <They're> Goals. Important. <laughs> so what did you just read, Chris? Oh, I just took a sip of my tea. Well, I finished Prairie Fires, the book by Carolyn Frazier about Laura Ingalls Wilder. Really enjoyed that book. It's not a quick read, or it wasn't for me, and I did, and that's not a criticism. It's just a very dense, packed, full of stuff book, and I loved it. Mm -hmm. Really enjoyed it. I just wanted to share a story because towards the end, Caroline mentions a Laura Ingalls Wilder scholar named Anne Romines, who is also a Cather scholar, who is one of the Cather scholars that I made a point to meet this last summer when I was at the Willa Cather seminar down in Virginia. Nice. So I met her, I thanked her for her scholarship, said it was great to, to meet you in person. Meeting Anne has now made me one degree of separation from Laura Ingalls Wilder. 
because Anne actually met Laura Ingalls Wilder when she was a kid. Oh, wow. Isn't that cool? Yeah. So Carolyn Frazier in her books tells the story of Anne's, it was either her mom or her grandmother took her for a two or three hour drive to meet Laura Ingalls Wilder when she was a kid because she was a fan of the novels. Wow. So she it, was got it, to meet her. it was like an author presentation. She was yeah. talking about her writing. Author oh, signing type cool. thing. Yeah. That's so, awesome. Yeah. Wow. One degree of separation. That's yeah. kind of fun, isn't it? Yeah. And that's a cool claim to fame to, you know, met somebody like that. That's kind of so many people admire her work. So mm-hmm. that's really cool. Yeah. I thought you were going to say one degree of separation from Cather. I did sit on a chair that Cather owned. Oh, that's pretty cool. So my butt touched where her butt touched. Wow. <laughs> that's kind of fresh, Chris. <laughs> Moving on, I just finished The Hollows, which is by Jess Montgomery. This book, too, will be released on January 14th, which is just around the corner. And this is the second book in the Kinship series. Uh, The first book was The Widows, which we talked about. We're going to be interviewing Jess in a couple weeks, and she'll be on episode 93. And it was really fun to go back to the characters, Sheriff Lily Ross and her friends Marvina and Hildy. And this book revolves around a mystery where at the very beginning of the story, an elderly woman is found dead by the side of train tracks. So Sheriff Lily Ross is on the the trail of trying to figure out if she fell because there's a bridge where where she was found. There was a bridge over the tracks. So did she fall or was she pushed? Okay. That is the main question in this story. But the other things that are happening in this book is that in in book one, in The Widows, Sheriff Lily Ross is based loosely on the true life of the first female sheriff in Ohio. And in The Widows, Lily's husband is killed on the job. He was the sheriff. So she became sheriff because they kind of just passed the badge to her. In the second book, she's now running for re-election because she was never elected in the first place so that's one of the storylines but she's also really still grieving the loss of her husband and that's really a thread of this story so there's a lot of sadness there and as can happen when we're grieving we can be kind of sharp with the people around us that are trying to help us and it just ends up coming out and influencing our other relationships. So that's one of the storylines here. There's also these books take place in Southern Ohio and Appalachia. And there is a story arc about white supremacy Mm. in this novel. So that's really interesting, Mm -hmm. considering the times we're living in today. And I really liked it. I think Jess is a great writer. And it was fun to revisit these characters again. I was happy. You know, I missed them when I finished The Widows. Yeah, that's great. I'm looking forward to reading that one myself. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, I, I think you will enjoy it. It was a page turner for me. Again, The Hollows by Jess Montgomery. If you can't wait till January 14th, get yourself a copy of The Widows if you haven't read it yet and read that one. And then you'll be ready to go with The Hollows. And don't we have a copy to give away? We do. That's right. I forgot. Yeah. We have a copy to give away. We should do that. We should. Maybe we should do that and drive your plow. Should we do it a, a combo giveaway? That's well, a that's big kinda giveaway. Well, that's kind of good. That's a pretty cool giveaway. Yeah. Let's do it. One person. It's the holiday season. Can win both of these books. Yeah. And all you have to do to enter to win is to subscribe to our newsletter. 
And if you're already subscribed, well, it's your lucky day. You don't have to do anything. You don't have to do anything. You can just kick back. And wait for them, hopefully, to win the winning number. (laughs) Yeah. Well, should we make it a January 1st? On January 1st, we'll pick a winner? That sounds like a great way to start the new year. Sure. Okay, great. So on January 1st, we will pick the winner of a giveaway of The Hollows by Jess Montgomery and Drive Your Plow Over the Bones of the Dead by Olga Tokarchuk. Sounds good. All right. Two thrillers, two really different thrillers. Yeah. Different countries. But female authors. Go, ladies. All right. Well, the other book I read was a nonfiction book. I did um, kind of a heavy skim of it, you could say. And it's called The Power of Unplugging, One Day a Week by Tiffany Schlein. And what I liked about this and wanted to just talk a little bit about was she and her family do a technology Shabbat. They, uh, Friday, you know, uh, to Saturday evening, they don't have any technology in their house, no screens, just to take that time away. And she's, I think she's in the movie industry. So she has a busy life. She travels a lot. They have kids. Um, So they decided instead of trying to unplug here and there to make it a weekly thing that they do. I love that idea. I do too. Because I've tried to set a time when I put my phone or my screens away every day and things like that. And it's kind of hit or miss because then if I'm on deadline, you know, that can just go out the window. Um, So I like the idea of having it be once a week from sunset to sunset seems to be a good way, especially Friday to Saturday because... Most of my deadlines, nothing is due on a Saturday or Sunday. It's usually a weekday kind of deadline. Right. So I thought I might try that myself. Yeah, it's so hard. I mean, it's so ever present now. And even when I am taking the time to be reading, and it's not a book on my e-reader, it's a real physical book. You know, you go to say, oh, I don't know what that word means. Mm -hmm. And back in the day, I would get my dictionary out. But now I just go online and look it up. Which then sometimes, you know, it's like, oh, I got an email. Oh, look, there's something new on Instagram, you know, and then a half an hour passes. Uh, Yeah, right. There have been times when I've done that Mm -hmm. and I pick my book back up and I'm like, oh, right. Yeah, I was looking up that word. And then I pick the (laughs) phone up again. So I have started to keep my dictionary at my side again. smart. Just for that kind of stuff. Because it really, it does get in the way of concentration and and Mm. an enjoyment of you know reading big chunks of time and things like that so yeah so she and her family uh the the author tiffany schlane they have friends over family for dinner and they're they're just spending time together during those times when they're not on screens well and so they must have to let their fellow citizens know like i mean do they impart that that no screens are allowed to come in either so if they have someone over for dinner do they tell them you know put your phones away I'm not sure. Yeah. I don't know about that. I don't recall reading that. Okay. Who knows? Probably. Mm-hmm. I would think so. Yeah. I think it's, it's got to be really good. It's about good. being connected to other right. people and yeah. spending time together and or just, I'm not sure if she said this, but even just spending time by yourself without yeah. that interruption. Yeah. I love the idea. And I love the idea of just quieting your mind in that way, you know? Yeah. Very and, cool. I, you know, a lot of people are worried about their own attention spans mm-hmm. and so take control of it. And do something like this might be the answer. Yeah, I agree. And she also has, within the book, suggestions on how to kind of start taking smaller steps, too. Right. Like start with an evening. Right. (laughs) Start with an hour. Yeah. Yeah. Because, you know, I know some people don't. I used to have a job where I had to be available nine to nine every day. It wasn't an option. Yeah. You know, so depending on your life situation and work situation, do what works for you. 
Yeah. But it's nice to read something that kind of give you the inspiration, I mm-hmm. think. So kudos yeah. to you. Yeah. So again, that's the power of unplugging one day a week by Tiffany Schlain. Great. I read Ain't Nobody Nobody by Heather Harper Ellett. <laughs> this is the book that Chris raved about on episode 87. Heather is a debut novelist. It is such a good book. I highly recommend it. I know this this episode is going to air on December 24th, which is Christmas Eve, if you celebrate Christmas or actually it's stretching over Hanukkah mm-hmm. as well. If you're looking for a last minute gift, I highly recommend <laughs> this. I think people will love it. She has a wonderful way with words. She writes very sparingly, I think, but she uses some humor, even though she's dealing with some heavy topics. Yeah, it's a murder mystery. Yeah. You know, people are dying. Yeah. And there's a lot as of important elements that run through it. But I really enjoyed it. I'm not going to talk at length about it because at the end of this episode, we have a wonderful interview with Heather. Yeah. So we'll talk more in depth about the book. That's fantastic. I'm so glad you liked it. I had I gave Emily my copy to just kind of review it before we talked with Heather. And she read the whole thing. So. Yeah. I mean, I opened it and the first sentence grabbed me and mm-hmm. then I was just in. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> page turning after page turning. Awesome. Well, the other book I read was an- another murder mystery. Uh, this one is Darkness for Light by Emma Vischeck. Now, I have to say, for years, I've been reading, this is her third entry in her series. It's the Caleb Zellick series. I always pronounced her name Emma Visick, so I apologize for mispronouncing her name in the past. I watched some videos with her to get her correct pronunciation. So this is, as I said, the third novel featuring Caleb who is a deaf investigator I think the tagline on the books is going to be now like he can't hear you but he sees everything (laughs) (laughs) I love it Um, and I just really like this character so much he's one of those flawed characters who is really endearing in a lot of ways um, because I I could relate to it because you know we all do stupid stubborn things and we do things that are not in our own best interest sometimes he's a white man he's married to an indigenous woman and they have been on the outs having a struggle with their marriage so this book opens kind of in the action um, of him he has a new motto um, saying quote make good decisions that's his new motto. That's a good one. I yeah, like that. Right? <laughs> Cuz in the last couple books he's, you know, he's an investigator. He wants to help people and and he always, you know, he gets into these situations that are quite deadly and brutal and and whatnot. So these are not cozy mysteries. There is violence, but there's really good humor as well. Like I actually LOL'd at this book. Oh, great. As I did with, you know, Heather Harper Ellett's book as well. And I think I love both of these novelists for that ability to write about dark subject matters, but really make you laugh at the same time and not in a ridiculous way, but in a real human way of kind of the foibles of being a human. Right. Or not make you feel bad that you're laughing. You know, that can happen too, where you're like, oh God, I'm laughing at someone's. Or it's not, it's not like sarcastic humor, Mm -hmm. like you're laughing at somebody's expense. Right. Exactly. Um, So I really enjoyed it. And this situation his former partner Frankie is back Frankie is a older woman she's back in the mix and a body shows up and I'll just leave it at that because it's one of those things you know it's a murder mystery and you don't want to say too many things because half of the fun of reading them is the unfolding absolutely now I do have to say everyone this book is not out in the United States until June 9th 2020 
But she had her first two novels, which are available now. Resurrection Bay was the first, and then And Fire Came Down is the second. They're both excellent. I do recommend you start at the beginning because you see his development. They're fine re- standalones as well. But I think in this case, you do want to see, like, what is he talking about with the relationship with his wife and things and Frankie and things like that. And you can buy the third one through Book Depository, right? Yes. Okay. So I had an advanced reader copy from NetGalley, but I did order a copy from Book Depository because I wanted the Australian version because I have the the first two are the Australian version. So I want them to match. Right. Yeah, yeah, great. I'm so glad you liked it. That's I did. Great. I really did. You know, and that is, yeah, you know, you say I'm, you're so glad, but that is one of those things when you have a writer that you like, when their next book comes out, it's like, yeah. is it going to be great? Like right. you want it to be, but I think uh, those of us who read a lot of series, you know, in the back of your mind, every series hit some of those bumps. Right. And sometimes they just, you know, get four flat tires. <laughs> it's just like, <laughs> oh, no. Or the storyline's just not, like, you feel like it's a little forced or something, you know, because they're yeah. trying to, to hit a deadline or just... Yeah, and I, you know, I don't get the sense at all with um, Emma's books in these ways, because with this third one, even, so Caleb, he can hear with hearing aids. He doesn't always wear them. So he's kind of living in the hearing world, but he is also part of the deaf community as well, because in this book, there's a restaurant owned by a deaf family. Mm. that has deaf employees working for them so you know he kind of he's that classic investigator who has a foot in different worlds yeah and and in this case it's just really interesting because he finds himself in situations where if you were a hearing person you would respond differently yeah so a lot of fun a great series and that's again darkness for light by emma viscic from australia great I read Far From the Tree by Robin Benway, not to be confused with Far From the Tree by Andrew Solomon. Oh, wow. Yeah, that book is a, is a work of nonfiction. That's fantastic. I did read that. But um, this is a work of fiction, and it's a YA novel. And I heard Literary Disco, which is a podcast that I really enjoy, just celebrated 10 years get out really I know, which seems crazy it does and so they were talking about like their favorite novels and this and that and um todd goldberg said that this is one of his favorite novels this is also a friend of his this author and he said it made him cry his eyeballs out which i would concur that it you definitely need tissues when you're reading this book it's told from three different points of view three different teenagers and then their names are maya grace and joaquin Two of them have been adopted. They were all given up by their birth mother, and they share the same birth mother. Two of them have been adopted by families, and one of them it has um, spent more time in the foster care system and is now in a place where he might get adopted. So it's very much about these three different kids finding each other and kind of trying to figure out who they are in the world of the family that is their adoptive family and then their biological family. I thought it was really well written. Sometimes it's really comforting to read a YA novel, I feel like, because it's just, it's a little bit more simple. You know, it's like not necessarily a simple idea. These are very complex sets of emotions and ideas. But the author has license to kind of like just not make the story too complicated. Right. Yeah. You know? I think they, they tell good stories. Yeah. It's just the story. Exactly. It, it doesn't have 
some of the bells and whistles adults expect I don't know right that's a good way of saying it or not no it's true and I think sometimes you'll see people write a review of a YA novel and kind of be harsh with it because of that and I feel like when you when you're reading YA you have to remind yourself I'm reading a YA novel you know so I thought that Robin handled these questions about different situations that adoptive kids end up in really well and then also this idea that lots of times you know there are multiple siblings that have been given up for adoption and they don't know that they the other exists so this was also about discovering you have other siblings out there Mm -hmm. and I've known people who are adopted and I think that sometimes they want to meet their birth families sometimes they don't and she really also addresses that subject in this book I really enjoyed it. I feel like I'm completely late to the party on this one. It came out in 2017. It won the National Book Award for YA oh, wow. novels Yeah, in 2017. So I highly recommend it. Far From the Tree by Robin Benway. That's great. Thanks for introducing us to that one. I don't recall hearing about it. Yeah. I mean, once I got it, I, the cover was familiar to me. I remembered seeing it around, mm-hmm. but it was totally not on my radar back in the day. So are we moving on to Biblio Adventures? Yes. I only had one. I had one-ish. You want to go first? <laughs> sure. Mine was due to you, Chris. Thank oh. you very much. I watched the Great Santini movie. Awesome. Yeah. This was based on the novel by Pat Conroy that I had just read a little while back. Wow. Very young Robert Duvall and a very young Blythe Danner. It was really interesting to see them and also to, you know, one of the things I don't enjoy about movies now, and I love the movies, is they can be totally over CGI'd, you know? right. Like I was watching this movie thinking all of the, there's a lot of um, flying scenes because he was a Marine pilot. And like, I was thinking those would be so overdone now if the movie was made now, probably. Right. And they were just great. And really simple and fun, you know. And I thought Robert Duvall really captured the essence of Bull Meacham. Right. I thought so, too. I thought he did a great job. Yeah. And then Blythe Danner, there were moments when I was like, oh, my God, Gwyneth Paltrow looks just like her mother. I had no idea. (laughs) So she had this, you know, look, just these beautiful eyes and this look of innocence. And I really enjoyed it. Mm -hmm. It was of its time. Right. You know, so thank you. Oh, good. I'm glad you enjoyed it. Yeah. Cool. It's the season for, you know, hunkering down under a blanket and watching a good movie. Yeah. What about Excellent. you? Well, we went on a tour of some of the mansions of Newport, Rhode Island, Fun. playground of the rich and famous, you know, from the 19th century. Laura had heard about this, that they deck out some of the houses um, for the holiday season. And we have a friend in town visiting, so we thought that would be a fun thing to do. So we went up and we saw the Breakers and also Marble House. And the Breakers was built by Cornelius Vanderbilt and uh, in, I, I think, 1890s. Okay. Don't remember right now. I'm still, like, overwhelmed by all the, the glitz and the glamour <laughs> because, you know, these were Gilded Age mansions that were so extravagant, mm-hmm. you know, influenced by you know the french palace or versailles and things like that so marble and gold and platinum and just really um highly decorated gorgeous buildings yeah i mean down to the doorknobs right 
very beautiful. We toured them. And so how this is a biblio adventure is that one, the houses have a library. Of course. Because houses of the rich and, I was going to say rich and famous. I guess they were famous back then. They were kind of like the stars of today. People follow the Vanderbilts and the Carnegies. And sure. The, yeah. All of the um, movers and shakers of their day. So they all had a library, and I was surprised that in the Breakers and Marble House, the libraries weren't larger. They didn't really have a ton of books in them. Hmm. You know, like on two or three of the walls, they had a wall of bookcases that was maybe not even half of the wall. Could you get up close to them? There's so much more ornate decoration. Oh, I see. A, a little bit, but not too much. There was a guest room, a guest suite that you could get a closer look at the books that were on the shelf there. And then in Mrs. Vanderbilt's room in the Breakers, there was a, a small bookshelf full of books there. But one of the things, so these are all done on audio tours, which at first I wasn't sure what I would think of, but they were really great. Oh, good. Because you can walk through the house then at your own pace and right. really focus on what you want to look at or move along if the room doesn't speak to you. And then they also had uh, buttons you can press for extra stories about the family or the time period or different rooms and things like that. So that was kind of exciting. And one of the points that was made is that um, for like Marble House, the family only lived there six weeks out of the year. Wow. I mean, and these are houses like, well, the Breakers, I think, cost $75 million, I think, oh if my. I'm not mistaken. I'm sorry, everybody. My numbers could be way off because, you know, they just are. <laughs> It's okay. We won't hold um, you accountable. But, you know, I mean, these were hugely expensive houses. But they, they lived there six weeks out of the year at Marble House because they had houses all over the country. Right. And yeah. all over the world. Yeah. So they didn't stay in one place. So I thought, well, maybe that's one reason why they didn't have a library like, you know, a country estate. Right. Or like the Gillette House that's here in Connecticut. He had a very big library, like one whole wall was just you know floor to ceilings wall to wall books yeah um yeah. and but that's where he lived and that's where he kind of stayed gillette yeah that would make a difference for yeah sure. right yeah. so i thought oh that might be fun something to fun to look into and then each house has its own books uh gift store slash bookstore i always think bookstore <laughs> right but in one of them i discovered that there's a whole series of mysteries based around these famous mansions in newport it's called the gilded newport series by Alyssa Maxwell. Hmm. And the first one is uh, about the breakers. It's like the breaker house murders or something like that. How fun. So um, I didn't get one because I didn't, but I have <laughs> them on my TBR now. Yeah. And I thought that would be fun to check out. So each murder mystery is set in a different house. Right. I mean, they're, they sound like the perfect location for a mystery. I know. I mean, it's gorgeous. They're right there, Newport, Rhode Island, right on the ocean. Just gorgeous. Yeah. How fun. Oh, I'm so glad you got there. Yeah. I was telling Chris earlier that Newport's really been on my list and I just haven't gotten a chance. Yeah, it's a gorgeous town. I mean, it's an old historic town and we kind of looked around a little bit. We didn't have a ton of time to explore town since the houses were more of our focus. But I did stop in Spring Street Bookstore, which is a used bookstore in town, and, and had a browse. It's a small shop, and they do sell online. I guess they've been selling online since like 2004, oh, which wow, is pretty cool great. for a yeah. used, used antiquarian rare books. Mm -hmm. Had a great. nice browse there. So that was my Biblio adventure. Lovely. Nice. Upcoming jaunts. 
I have my eye on the new Little Women movie, which comes out on Christmas Day, oh, twelve twenty-five. I know, and this is the one that's directed by Greta Gerwig. I've seen two reviews from authors who've gotten advanced screening. One was Anna Quinlan, and the other was our buddy Anne Boyd Rue, and they both gave them huge double thumbs up. So I'm really looking forward to seeing this movie. Yeah, I am too. Anne Boyd Rue was on, I think, CBS. Uh, they interviewed her for a segment that they did about the new movie. Yeah. Which is really exciting. Yeah, it was really exciting. I saw that. People are just saying it's a really wonderful adaptation. So I'm so excited. And then the other thing I have on my radar is that R.J. Julian Madison on January 23rd, the author Janine Cummins is going to be here for American Dirt. Oh, wow. Which is the book I've been telling everybody, you know, comes out on January 21st, pre-order it, read this thing, buy it for everybody you know, I beg of you, people should be reading this book. Wow. <laughs> High praise for me, but I mean it. So those are my, the things on my radar. What about you? The Little Women movie is definitely on my radar. Great. Other than that, I I haven't been looking. We've had visitors in the last month or so. So I've been kind of focusing on that. Yeah. And it's, you know, it's kind of the season where a lot of bookstores stop, you know, doing their events and just have kind of holiday themed activities, which I totally understand. And they're busy selling books, hopefully. Exactly. Yeah, it's so busy this time of the year for bookshops. Hopefully you're all busy. Yes. Sell, sell, sell. Buy books, everybody. (laughs) Remember, you can buy books from a lot of indies online now. So, you know, you can spend your money with indies, even if you can't get to them physically. Yeah. And gift cards. Yes. Are also a really great thing. I've done things where you have the gift card purchased there at the store and they can send it to the person absolutely directly yeah and a lot of them you can even order their gift cards online now Mm -hmm. if you don't feel like talking to a human but most booksellers are very kind and if you call them they would gladly ship a gift card Upcoming reads. Upcoming reads. The the first one on my list is going to be Jess Montgomery's The Hollows, which you just talked about. That is one that I'm definitely going to be reading. Great. Awesome. I went strolling at the library today because I had to do some work. And by the way, I'd like to give a shout out to librarians. I was up in the reference desk area and there was a librarian helping someone learn how to use a computer. And they were doing such a good job. And I just thought, we're so lucky to have libraries and have librarians. Amen. Yeah, I love librarians. And I picked up a copy of Deshaun Charles Winslow's In West Mills. And he just won the Center for Fiction Award for, what do they call it? New First Novel Prize is what they call it. Okay. First Novel Prize. And we got to hear Deshaun read a portion of his book at Book Expo. At least Russell and I did. I don't know if you were there. I don't know. It was the it was the um, event that Alyssa was running, the indie bookstore book picks, and Deshaun was one of the people who read. I was there. Yeah, yeah. totally. Yeah. Yeah. So in West Mills, Deshaun Charles Winslow. The other book I am thinking about reading next is Who Asked You? A novel by Terry McMillan. I love Terry McMillan. She's the author of Waiting to Exhale and a bunch of other How books. How Stella got her groove back, right? Yep, yep. And I kind of forgot about her. And this book came out in 2013. And I just recently treated myself to just browsing the stacks at the library. Nice. Which I haven't done in a long time. And this is one that I picked up. And I find her very readable and enjoyable. 
And then the other one I picked up was Heaven, My Home by Attica Locke. This is the second book in the series that she does about, I think, he, is he a sheriff or a Texas? No, a Texas Ranger. Hmm. A Texas Ranger that's kind of gone off the deep end a little bit. And um, the first one in the series was Bluebird, Bluebird. Attica Locke is a television writer, so she has a really great way to write narration and things like that. They're very readable books. So again, that's Heaven, My Home by Attica Locke. Sounds good. All right. Every- oh, we're oh, going to end there. I, <laughs> <laughs> I wanted to say one other thing. I'm just making your No, that's okay. It's all good. I wanted to just say something to, to folks about the holidays, which are coming up. And I know for some people, the holidays are a wonderful, joyful time. And for other people, they can feel kind of lonely. And I just wanted to say that we love all of you, our listeners, and we're with you in spirit. Absolutely. If you don't have company over the holidays. And one thing that I know I use to keep myself company is books and reading. Yeah, absolutely. So one of the things I'm super, super hoping to spend time doing next week is just getting under the covers and reading some books. And I wanted to just share an Anna Quinlan quote. I love the author Anna Quinlan, and I find her words to be very meaningful to me sometimes. And one of her famous quotes is, books are the plane and the train and the road they are the destination and the journey, they are home. And she also says, in books, I have traveled not only to other worlds, but into my own. And I wish for you all lots of time to read and reflect and enjoy life next week over the holidays, where a lot of you have time off. And if you're feeling lonely, don't hesitate to reach out to people, talking to people, online through Goodreads, things like that is a great way to have company. Absolutely. It really is. And this time of the year can be so hard watching TV because family gets crammed on your throat. I love my family, but I just think it gets so overdone and everybody is expected to be with their family and loving their family and having this joyful, stress-free time with their family. And that is just not the reality for many, many people. Right. So... Going into a good book, I think, is a great way to go. Yeah. Next up, we are so happy to have an interview with Heather Harper Ellett. She's the author of Ain't Nobody Nobody, a mystery that came out earlier this year that I absolutely loved and that Emily read and loved as well. So we hope you enjoy our interview. Hi, everyone. We're here with author Heather Harper Ellett the debut novelist of Ain't Nobody Nobody. And Chris raved about this book. And so we reached out to Heather to see if we could get her on the podcast. And here she is. Welcome, Heather. Thank you. Yeah, if you rave about my book, I'll show up for sure. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, just a little bit of uh, background. I review for Criminal Element. And this is one of the books that uh, came up as a potential book to review. And I love reading debut novels because I think they're so full of energy and the author usually has something they really want to say so I enjoyed the writing of this I enjoyed the mystery the thriller the location the characters everything yeah Yeah. it's a really good book and Chris gave it to me to read before you know we knew we were going to talk to you and 
she walked in today and she was like, I was really surprised that you read it from cover to cover. Because <laughs> I'm not usually a mystery writer, but this just captivated me from the first page. So I really loved it as well. Thank you. Thank you. Well, it's very, it's very character driven. So, you know, if you, if you like that kind of thing, then hopefully that was there for you too. Yes, definitely. So Heather, could you give our listeners maybe just like a one, two minute synopsis of the novel, just so they have an idea of what it's about in your own words? Oh gosh. Yeah. Authors are the worst at giving synopses of their own work. I'll do my best though. Uh, so it's about a uh, disgraced ex-sheriff in East Texas where I'm from. His name is Randy Mayhill and he is a Dr. Pepper enthusiast and dog rescuer. And he has walked out one morning to find a dead body on the fence of his dead best friend's neighbor and he fancies himself a protector. He's a hero. He's got a savior complex. And so he decides that this body is going to be his road to redemption in terms of the view of the county where he lives and who disgraced him. And really with this family, Bernie and Oni, his dead best friend's family, um, because he is partially responsible for his best friend's death. And so he sees this as a way to come back really not necessarily publicly, but also to himself. Yeah, for sure. I mean, throughout the book, uh, one of the themes is the issue of shame, which <laughs> I was really interested in. Uh, shame seems to have come up a lot in my reading lately. Uh, as something <laughs> people struggle with and that, you know, can destroy a, a life. And I think Randy's dealing with that, um, so much of that fallout and then not having a purpose. And to add one more statement to what I'm saying, you're also a therapist, in your day job. Yes. So I'm wondering if you could talk a little bit about how your practice as a therapist influences your writing or how it influences it. Cause obviously it does. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think every, every part of one's life influences the writing. Um, and yeah, and I'm realizing now that this will be on radio and you just said, Oh, it's a book about shame. And I giggle like a schoolgirl. <laughs> like, oh. <laughs> But um, I guess I just feel like shame is so pervasive. And I, I mean, not necessarily, you know, just in the therapy room, but I swear every single issue that we deal with, whether it's grief, whether it's, you know, narcissism, all come down to shame. I feel like it, it's just an underlying emotion for all of us. So, yeah, so much of this book is exploring the different manifestations of that because some of us feel shame and we feel the need to save everyone, like Randy Mayhill. Some of us, feel shame and we feel the need to be incredibly pessimistic and dark and brooding, um, like one of the main characters, Birdie. And some of us di decide to you know, get involved in an illegal drug operation because <laughs> we figure out any other way to move forward in the world. So yeah, I, mean, I think my work in the therapy room has, yeah, I, I am privy to people's shame in a way that a lot of times other people aren't, or at least knowingly aren't, because I know we're not talking politics, but I feel like that's just a big shame game, too. So we see it on display everywhere. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah, I think it's going to bubble up probably in the next book and the book after that, too. Ooh, I'm excited to hear you talk about next books. <laughs> <laughs> so were these characters that came to you because of an experience you had, or was this just purely your imagination? Kind of both. I mean, it was 
I, I knew I wanted to write about East Texas because that's where I'm from, from. And I, you know, I haven't lived there in 18 years at this point. And so I feel like I have enough distance to be able to write about something and observe it. Um, because if you're, you know, steeped in something, you can't really see it. And so I was able to have the distance and the appreciation. But then the characters did just kind of pop up. And I, I'm always skeptical of those writers who are like, oh, and they suddenly just spoke to me. So I wouldn't say it was that easy of a magical writing experience, but they did keep knocking on my door. Like I was trying to write a story primarily about Birdie, this young girl grieving in East Texas, but then Mayhill just kept inserting himself. Um, and he is a big character, and so instead of fighting it, I decided just to go with that and let his bigness shine through and make that a big part. I mean, it became his story, and so that's what I'm you know, learning as a writer is instead of fighting some of your tendencies and try to have an agenda for a story, let some of it unfold. Yeah. I mean, I guess kind of like parenting. You don't want a helicopter, but you don't want to be like, you know, here's a knife and some sugar. You know, right. go Good luck. You want yeah. <laughs> love with boundaries, I guess. <laughs> Oh, that's really neat to hear because I was wondering about that as a, as a woman writer writing about a male character. You know, there's always conversations about men writing about women and women writing about men and, and uh, people stepping out of their own known experience to write mm-hmm. from the other gender. I really love this character. Yeah. And, and I, he felt really, I don't know, this is going to sound really corny, but he felt like a man to me. Really. No. Yeah, that feels, that's amazing. I think that's a great compliment. Well, and, and I have gotten that feedback. And I remember you said that on the podcast. And I mean, it, like that it wasn't, and you said it was a silly thing for people to say, like, this is a girl book or a boy book. Mm-hmm. But I really appreciated the fact that it did seem to um, not fit necessarily in one of those categories. And I tend to resonate more with male characters. And I tried really hard to make this a female-centric book. And I think I did, in a, I mean, it ended up being Birdie's story in a lot of ways, and it ended up being a female story in a lot of ways, but whenever I went at it directly that way, for some reason, they just wouldn't talk. I've joked before, you know, I, I live in a house with all males, I have a son, a husband, and even my cats are male. <laughs> and, so, and I feel like also in East Texas, storytelling was mostly done by the men in my family. They were more the orators. Not that the women did not. They were incredibly creative and great speakers. But I felt like more of this kind of weird narrative tradition came more from the the male point of view. And so I don't know if I absorbed that or, or what. Yeah, well, he was a great and very interesting character. And he was also, he's middle-aged. Yeah, I, I know Chris has a paragraph from the book that she'd like to read that speaks to his middle-aged feelings. Well, and that was a really refreshing thing about the book, that it wasn't just mentioned that he was middle-aged and struggling with grief and aging, but you really showed throughout the book how he's dealing with aging, which I really appreciated. This is one of the lines that you said early on in the book, uh, talking about teenagers, and it says, and so in the way that teenagers register everyone over 30 as an amorphous blob of middle age, the importance of a man neither of them recognized would not land. And I just love that amorphous blob of middle age. Oh, <laughs> thank you. <laughs> like, well, I, love, I feel like I'm in it right now. I feel yeah. like I'm amorphous blob. 
as do we. Yeah, I don't remember thinking that way as a young person. Like, you know, everybody kind of over 30 and even 25, they were just kind of out there. They were all, you know, unless they were ancient back then, would have been 70. Right. <laughs> it doesn't seem that ancient anymore. It's not um, ancient at all. Yeah, they, they, everybody is just kind of this amorphous blob that is just older humans, I guess. Right. You would, you know, yeah, like, and I'm glad you picked up on that. Thank you. Because I mean, that is the whole point of the book in so many ways. And I don't want to say, like, I set out to write that specifically, but this all kind of bubbled up. You know, the book is called Ain't Nobody Nobody. It's about the way we discard people. And those themes come up over and over and over again. So I guess it was something I was chewing on. But yes, the teenagers in the book totally discard anyone over 30. But um, everyone's also discarded the older woman who is, you know, in her um, 60s. And I mean, I work with a lot of elderly and a lot of elderly in my life. And I mean, the way that they are just discarded, you know, I mean, it's just it's shocking to me the way how quick society is able to disregard everyone like it's like the new american pastime well and there was a there was another sentence actually this is a paragraph should i read this please you mind okay this is a longer paragraph but i i love this um whole description this is uh randy's going back and he's run into some friends that he used to see more regularly 17 months did not seem a long time in the grand scheme of the universe But among the 40-something set, the change seemed almost as dramatic as not seeing a kitten for that long. Brown hair turned half gray in unpredictable patterns, some salt and pepper, some of the skunk variety, faces picking up and moving an entire inch south, and bodies, the bodies, his own body. He was supposed to be dead at 30 from a gunfight, saving women named Clementine and Maybell. Instead, he was in this gray, sagging vessel he didn't understand. (laughs) Wow. I I was just like, holy, I mean, when I read the book, I I read that paragraph three times because I loved it so much. Oh, thank you. It really resonated. And and when Emily and I have been talking about the book, the fact that that is about a man's perspective, too, really seemed very different and fresh to us. Oh, well, thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah, I mean, because you don't see a whole lot of beauty products being marketed to men at this point, you know, but as soon as you hit 35, it's suddenly, like, I don't, okay, you know, Google ads, like, are insane to me, and I swear, as soon as I hit 35, then I'm, like, getting Botox, like, ads all over the place, and suddenly, like, this happened this year. I had all these plastic surgeons, like, follow me on Twitter, you know, and <laughs> Followers. Oh, they're all the <laughs> Yeah, sometimes it's better not to look too closely at those things. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Just stop oh. for a minute and think about some of the followers we get because our name has the word cougars in it. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, I found your writing was so breathtaking in certain spots. That is a lovely paragraph. I also loved the humor in the book. It's Thank very you. funny. I laughed out loud often. Yeah. And one of my favorite lines is when you're talking about Bradley's mother, who's not going to win any Mother of the Year awards. She has some struggles. And there's a, when you're first introducing her, the very last sentence says, Carol Brady, she was not. <laughs> and I just... I 
I love that. that. Like, I seriously almost gave it the axe because I was just like, Carol Brady doesn't feel quite right. But then I was like, okay, given the, you know, it's probably like a middle-aged man narrator, basically, um, that would be appropriate. So there's a major debate there. Thank you for validating it. Well, generationally, I mean, to me, you know, I watched a lot of Carol Brady. I know exactly what she's trying to say here. (laughs) And I appreciate that about the humor because I, I think that the greatest joy in life is to laugh and to make someone else laugh. Um, it just, I mean, you can just turn your day around if you make some stupid joke and someone laughs. I mean, it's just like, oh, instant friends. You know, like I feel instant friends with y'all because we're laughing at the same stuff. And, uh, and also, I was writing about a lot of dark stuff and I don't think you can write that dark without kind of laughing about it too. I mean, you can, but those aren't necessarily the books that I want to read, they usually make me want to poke my eyes out. So if you can kind of talk about dark stuff in a serious way, but then laugh at it at the same time, I just think that that's genius. And I think I failed plenty at that. You know, there are plenty of jokes that fell flat, but I I tried to keep the stuff that at least made me laugh or my husband said, hey, that's good. Yeah, yeah. black humor, right? I mean, I always find all of us have been in difficult situations where something really funny happens and you just think, wow, even in the darkest times, Mm -hmm. this really funny thing happened, you know? Absolutely. Well, I told the story, I told the story about your con, but it was very meaningful for me and I think very much set the tone for the book. But um, my mother's brother, he had ALS, Lee Gehrig's disease, um, all through my junior high years. So he would have been in his mid-40s. And, you know, it was just awful just to watch this man who was incredibly active and um, loved to hunt and hike and do all this stuff just, you know, become paralyzed. And and back then they didn't have any voice boxes or any communication machines to where he could communicate. So, I mean, his speech went pretty fast. But some of the last words that we got to hear him speak, and this was years before he actually died, someone in my family very misguidedly asked him if he had any regrets before he died. And he got us all very close and got really solemn and said, my only regret is that I didn't smite my enemies. (laughs) And I just died in that. Like, you used some of your last words on this earth to make such a dark joke. And I was like, yes. That is awesome. Yeah. 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 Humor is very important. And I think in a lot of ways, it shows someone's true character. Yeah. You know? Well, and that's the thing that, again, back to the character of Randy, he is such a well-rounded character that the humor fits. You know, I've read other mystery novels that try to do humor. And quite often it's sarcastic, really dark mm-hmm. humor. Um, but this, I mean, this does have some dark, dark humor, but it also has really heartfelt humor, which I thought was really refreshed. Another, I'm using that word refreshing a lot, but it's true. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you. I, don't, I mean, because if you're just making fun of other people to make fun of them, then it's just mean. Yeah. Um, but, I mean, I feel like the narrator or I or whoever, you know, didn't say anything about Randy that he wouldn't say about himself. I feel like he would have acknowledged how over the top and, you know, ridiculous he could be at times. And, and I think that's the difference between sarcastic kind of like bitter humor versus like, I don't know. What's the word? 
keeper of admiration. Mm-hmm. Like my mother and I will make fun of each other endlessly to the point where, you know, probably spectators are wondering what's wrong with our relationship. <laughs> <laughs> it's a very good relationship. And that's probably why you do. <laughs> well, I have more of an overarching question about what it's been like for you to become a debut novelist and how it's impacted and changed your life. Cause you do have a day job. So how are you making it all work together? Not very well. <laughs> <laughs> it's absolutely great. I, I was telling my husband that I mean, the fall ended up being very busy, you know, and I mean, let's be honest. I'm with a smaller press. It, it has done well and people have loved the book. And I've been very grateful for that, but it's not like, you know, some New York times bestseller with my 50 city tour. And I don't even know how people do that. I mean, because even with a book of this size, I just was exhausted, like writing articles, going here, going there. And um, so, yeah, I mean, luckily it has slowed down a little bit. And so, yeah, I'm, I'm very grateful for the experience, 100%. But yeah, the balance it, it did take me a little bit off guard to know how much was required, you know, in terms of getting out there. And God, being on Twitter, being on Facebook, which is just the bane of my existence, um, you know, it, it having to engage that way. Yeah, yeah it, it takes, takes a lot, a lot of, time. of time. And I know authors are, it's almost like their publishers are requiring them to be available in that way now. So it's not trivial. No, it's not. And I've met some incredible authors. I feel like I have wonderful author friends as a result of that. And, you know, people that um, we message back and forth. And so I'm incredibly grateful for it. But I do feel that weird little itch. Like, oh, well, you haven't talked about your book in a week. And I, I mean, this is fun. us having a conversation about it. But, um, you know, just generally tell us about your book. And that kind of self-promotion I found really, really difficult. And the antithesis of... <laughs> Of every in my soul. <laughs> Is that for you? <laughs> and how about writing time? How did you write the book? Oh, I tried not to be too precious with my writing time because I decided to start writing crime fiction when my son was about one years old. My husband was starting his brand new business and I was starting my business as a therapist. So I chose the least amount of time I would ever have in my life. Yeah, to I was going to say. <laughs> and so I would try to, um, you know, like right now I write when my son is at Taekwondo. I just kind of sit up there and write. And when he was a baby, I would do it whenever he was sleeping and yeah, just whenever I can grab bits of time. I'm trying to get a little more regimented about it because if that time doesn't come, I get a little bit, you know, panicked, like I haven't done what I was supposed to that day. So I think I'm going to have to make some gentle changes. But overall, it's just grab it when you can. So have you always wanted to write or is this something that came to you, I don't want to say later in life, that makes you sound like you're 80? I hate girls. No, I have always wanted to write. I mean, so the day that my book came out, my mom sent me a picture of all of these books that I had written, like, you know, like construction paper, and it was like the case of King Diamond and all this stuff (laughs) on Instagram. So I did my authorly duty that day, but um, it was just. It was it was a little bit of a calling. I don't mean to sound pretentious about it, but it's something I always wanted to do, and I always loved words. And when I was probably four or five, I mean, my grandmother would read me, you know, like Edgar Allan Poe stories, which is just a terrible choice, I think, <laughs> <laughs> um, 
but she's the most amazing grandmother. And so we are just, um, yeah, words are always very important to us. And my husband and I, we met in creative writing class and um, we fell in love in creative writing class at SMU. So he was a creative writing major too. Oh, neat. Wow. Yeah. So you were a creative writing major, but then you ended up obviously getting some other training if you're a therapist. Yeah, I was actually a double major in creative writing and biology because I wanted to do, well, I wanted to be a great American novelist, but then I was like, that's probably, you know, at age of 22, I was practical enough to see that probably wasn't going to happen or it would require my death in order for me to be a <laughs> Um, so I added on the biology degree because I wanted to do science writing. And I had done some internships with the American Heart Association, American Stroke Association. Also, David Quammen, the science writer, was really big at that time. And I just fell in love with this idea of biological narrative, essentially. Um, a little bit of a side note where I grew up, you know, rural, conservative East Texas, we did not learn evolution. They did, they did not teach that in public schools. I'm not making a comment on it. My biology teachers were great. But then I got to college, and I took a not-for-science majors biology class, and it was in Taos, New Mexico, where SMU had the campus. And the professor basically sat and did a three-hour story of evolution from Lamarck and Cuvier and then eventually to Darwin. And, and the way that he painted the story of the discovery and of how it worked. And just, I mean, biology came alive. And I was like, God, you can tell the most amazing story with what's actually, you know, already here in the world. And so I think that does come through in the book because I'm obsessed with feral hogs and um, <laughs> Texas. And so that's the biology love coming through. Well, in the whole feral hog thing, listeners will remember, this is the book where I said, I don't know if I'm going to get through this book because the opening scene is of Randy, the main character, dressing a hog that <laughs> he's killed, that his dog's cornered. But since then, I, I know there's been a death of somebody in Texas from hog being attacked by a hog. Yeah, absolutely awful. It was in Anahuac, Texas, which is southeast Texas, about um, an hour and an hour and a half from my family's ranch. And uh, yeah, a woman who was a caretaker going in to care for an elderly couple parked right outside because I had suggested that maybe she was parked far away, but mm-hmm. parked right outside the door. And a hog's daughter, which I mean, hog attacks have been up until now pretty rare. But then I started doing more research, and my cousin, who's a large animal vet in um, southeast Texas, he pointed me to some other areas where, I mean, hogs are getting more and more aggressive. And, you know, not to get too morbid, but the the autopsy report of that woman, they were expecting that it would be a boar, you know, a large male, and it wasn't. It, they, there were large, there were boar bites, but there were baby bites. There were, it was like a whole family. And so it's a bizarre situation because they Hogs are you know, the most prolific large mammal on earth, and they the sows can have three or four litters a year, and then each litter has three or four babies in it. I mean, it's just exponential growth. Yeah, I mean, and then to switch it back to the literary standpoint, I mean, it is the most I think it's the most awesome uh, metaphor for problems gone out of control. Mm-hmm. You know, it is chaos out of control, so yeah. Mm-hmm. Wow. The hawk try to make a, an appearance anytime that kind of thing is going on in their world. Yeah, I mean, I I have a cousin in Germany who was kind of attacked by a 
a wild boar uh, there. Her dogs were. I mean, everybody survived, but it's it's not something that I've ever heard of happening in the United States. So it's kind of horrific to know that that's going on down there. Yeah, and then I don't know if you saw the New York Times article this week, but the hogs are moving north, and it's a big problem in Canada. And I think, like, was it five years ago, hogs were only in 17 states, and now they're in 38. And we're not just talking, like, little hog sightings. We're like, you know, they explode wherever they go. And it's a... I do think like sometimes people try to make problems out of you know things that aren't just to you know lend some importance to whatever they happen to be writing about. So please don't. I'm not. <laughs> um, but I mean, it, it's insane. It's a crazy problem. Wow, I had no idea that it spread that much. Yeah, because they just don't have a predator anymore. Hmm. Right? right. Other no, than humans. Yeah, no predators except for humans, really, and they can survive um, drought, excess, excess moisture. I mean, there's really no environment that they can't adapt to. You know, they're like roaches in that way. And, uh, but what's, I guess what's happening is that some people, because they're hunt, fun to hunt, so people will trap a couple of them and take them up north and let them loose on someone's property to create, like, a hunting environment, and then they just go nuts from there. And so, I mean, they're putting some real legal ramifications around that, as they should. Wow. So it sounds like, like a mammal kudzu. Well, I was or... going <laughs> to yeah. say it's like, it's like hog Jurassic Park or something. <laughs> It is. If you've ever seen them, I mean, it's just the creepiest thing. Oh, oh. We've gone dark, ladies. Yeah, we have. <laughs> <laughs> so I hope your next book isn't about, like, you know, after climate change and all that's left is the hogs or something <laughs> dark like that. Well, it is now. <laughs> Are we allowed to ask you what you're working on? You, you are, and I'm going to sound like I'm being kind of, you know, aloof about it, um, but I am very slow at coming up with ideas. As soon as, like, the idea gels and I kind of get a, a larger idea for whether it's a scene, whether it's a chapter or whatever, um, I'm very fast writer at that point, but um, right now I'm working on another... I would say Texas crime. Um, it's centered around a family. I am attempting a female first-person character who is a bit dark. Um, but, you know, whether she talks to me or not is... <laughs> right. So far, she's been quite, um, quite gregarious. I appreciate that. So we'll see if she continues to be. That's great. Oh, well, that's, that's great. That's so wonderful. you mentioned David Quammen is a writer that influenced you. Can you maybe share a couple of books that really impacted you as a writer or reader or both? Yeah, absolutely. Because I, mean, I know like, a writer's not supposed to say this. I don't read as much as what I should, but I read books and then I read them over and over and over again. So I study like gangbusters. So I'll pick a few that I adore and I will read them over and over trying to understand the structure. So I did that with um, Emily Mandel's Station Eleven. I love the the broken narrative. I like the multiple timelines. Um, I also love uh, Zadie Smith White Teeth because I, I love the energy of the narrator, and that was one thing that I really wanted to incorporate into my book. Um, I like those kind of big godlike narrators. I absolutely adore. Um, Jeffrey Eugenides' Virgin Suicides. I think it is just one of the most perfect pieces of writing. And it, and it oddly it holds up close to me, too. You wouldn't think it would, but it kind of like mocks the whole male gaze thing um, in a way that I didn't pick up on when I read it in college. 
mean, those are the three biggies that I read when reading this book. But I mean, also Emily Mandel's previous crime, like her noir, because she's known for Station Eleven, but she had three really lovely crime novels before Station oh, Eleven. And they were also just beautiful, and I wanted to incorporate a lot of those like beautiful and crime elements together. Because I, I cannot get through a book if the prose is not doing something special for me or the narrator is not doing something special. Mm-hmm. And right now, because of y'all, I am halfway through um, Drag Your Plow Over the Bones of the Dead. Since oh, that's right. the fear three yeah. Yeah. thing. And so thank y'all for that recommendation. And I'm absolutely loving that. Oh, I like Bird. <laughs> well, that's exciting. That's yeah. our next read-along. Yeah, and, um, yeah, so yeah, that's why I'm, I picked it up. Yeah, yeah. I'm going to crack the binding on that after the first of the year. I think that'll be my, my first book of the 2020. So nice. Yeah. It's really, I like weird stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, this has been great, Heather. Yeah. Thank you so much for coming and talking with us. It's Oh my gosh, thank y'all. It's really lovely to have you. We both really enjoyed the book. We wish you great success. We want everybody to go out and buy it and then buy it for a friend. Yeah. <laughs> the title again, it's Ain't Nobody Nobody. Heather Harper Ellett is uh, Heather's full name. And people can get it pretty much uh, anywhere. They, you may need to order it yeah i mean it's on indie bound you know amazon um they're in texas it's at most major bookstores and there are a lot of signed copies around texas because i I made the rounds and um yeah one thing i was doing for december is that if you post a picture of my book with your pet then i will get five dollars to the sbca because you know randy mayhill is a dog rescuer and i I really love that element about him. And I don't like other promotions. So I was like, <laughs> buy a bag of dog treats for someone. Yeah, That's great. Thank you so much for sharing that. I, I was going to talk about that and it slipped my mind. So I appreciate you bringing that up. That's a great promotion. Yeah. And any of you who are on Twitter, you should follow Heather and look at some <laughs> of these pictures are hilarious. People are posting pictures of their dogs with glasses on and, and all sorts of things. And a parakeet, I think I saw. There's yeah, a, and a parakeet. Yeah, yeah if you're a plastic surgeon, please don't follow me. <laughs> Unless you're a big reader and then it's okay. Yeah, terminate. That was rude. <laughs> well, thank All you right. so much, Heather. We really appreciate you taking the time to talk with us today. Well, thanks, Billy. Y'all are awesome. Thanks for listening to The Book Cougars with Chris Wallach and Emily Fine. To keep the bookish conversation going online... Join our Goodreads group or connect with us on social media. If you'd like to contribute to our hunt for a good read, you can donate on Patreon. And if you have a minute to review us on whatever app you use to listen to us, we appreciate it. It can help other listeners find us. Thanks, everybody.